Welcome back. If it's your first time here, then thank you for joining us. This is the Doula's Guide to Preparing for Your Birth with me, Meg, also known as a Dungaree Doula. It's the podcast where we talk about all things pregnancy, birth and parenting. My aim is to share unbiased information alongside a bit of friendly chit-chat to ensure that you head into parenthood feeling confident and excited for what's to come. If you're new to the podcast and would like to know more about me, then go and check out the very first episode for a little introduction and a big chat on hypnobirthing and the following episodes for some great birth and parenting preparation. If you love the podcast, you can now leave me a little tip to say thank you via buy me a coffee. The link is in the show notes. A huge, huge thank you in advance if you choose to do this. The podcast is something that I research, write, record and edit completely by myself and I'm completely unpaid for. So the tips that come in from those of you who have found it useful are truly, truly appreciated. You can leave as little as £3 over there. Before we begin, I also want to remind you that I now have a pre-recorded online course, which is a full antenatal and hypnobirthing course that you can sign up to and start working through right away in your own time. There are over 30 modules to work through, each made up of video content with PDF downloads, hypnobirthing MP3 tracks, relaxation tracks, journaling prompts, birth plan templates, birth partner checklists, and so, so much more. It's only £37, which is an absolute steal, but to celebrate the launch of season two of the podcast, you can now use the code podcast for 20% off. Just click the link in the show notes or head to my website, which is thedungaredoula.co.uk and head to the online course page. Whilst you're over there, you might see the even newer Hypnobirthing Essentials online course, which as it sounds is a condensed version. It's still pre-recorded for you, but for those of you who are maybe at the end of your pregnancy, so don't have much time to work through a course, those of you who have done antenatal education otherwise and just want the Hypnobirthing on top, or those of you who are pregnant for a second, third, fourth time and want a refresher. If any of those things sound like you, then head to the same place, the link in the show notes, and check out Hypnobirthing Essentials, which is just £20. So again, really, really great value. In this episode, we're going to talk about due dates, the origins of them, if they mean anything, and why I personally think we should bin them off. This is part of a little mini series I'll be doing around due dates, so look out for other episodes coming on Going Overdue others on the evidence of induction for post dates and some other things like that. But just know that they're not going to come out in a linear order because that's just not my style, to be honest. (laughs) This podcast is whatever topic is in my brain on that particular week. So I have a huge list of topics for future episodes. um, But whatever I feel like writing and recording each week is how everything comes to fruition. So I can't promise you that next week I'll be wanting to talk about due dates again. We'll just have to wait and see. (laughs) Also, a little side note, I will be doing a Merry Christmas episode again this year, answering your questions. If you have any questions or any messages you would like me to read out on the podcast, then drop me a DM on Insta where I'm at the Dungaree Dealer or an email to thedungareedoula at gmail.com and let me know what you want to know about. It can be about pregnancy, birth, parenting, home education, birth work or me in general. Just let me know. I also want to really quickly mention something before we start. I promise we'll get into it in a second tiny bit um, like well I don't know if embarrassing is the right word but I listened back to the vitamin k episode from last week and I was really proud of it I feel like it was a really thorough episode but I mentioned it a few times that there are quite a lot of words that I have difficulty pronouncing and I've said this on quite a few different podcasts if you've been listening for a while you will know that I have difficulties pronouncing certain words and oftentimes I don't even try because it just ends up a mess. I wanted to very quickly explain that I'm pretty sure it's because of dyspraxia um, so I can read really well but I just can't get the words to come out and I think it's because of yeah because of dyspraxia as well as all of 
the other um symptoms that I have because of it I think this is something else um that is to do with it so I don't I'm if it's like a word that I'm not familiar with saying um I just can't pronounce it basically I looked it up to see if it could be related and found that it's because you can have difficulty coordinating the muscle movements that are necessary to say certain words with dyspraxia and that's what it is so I know how they should sound but I can't get the sounds out I know that sounds really weird but it's the only way I can explain it and I just wanted to mention it there because I feel like I come across a bit daft sometimes or like I'm not putting in the effort to pronounce things that people can say really easily and I try to you know articulate myself really well on this podcast even though I have this strong whole accent which is not that common on podcasts is it (laughs) it's always really well-spoken people but though yeah there are just certain words I just physically cannot get out or cannot even make sense of how to try and get them out so just yeah a little note there you know my speech and accent is something I'm a little bit self-conscious of anyway but I'm trying to not be and I love doing the podcast it's not going to make me stop I'm you know I'm going to carry on blabbering on and yeah just excuse me constantly explaining what I mean when I can't get the words out right (laughs) so let's get into it let's actually talk about what you're here for let's talk about Judith so I personally am a solid lie about your Judiths kind of gal I just think Judiths are mostly bullshit dare I say bullshit again I do say they're used for certain things before anybody comes at me because last time I said something was bullshit on the podcast someone left me a bad review I said that BMI was bullshit and someone left me a very bad review saying they fundamentally disagree that BMI is not bullshit and I stand by that BMI is bullshit sorry for anyone who disagrees and also yeah I think estimated Judiths are for the most part bullshit <laughs> obviously I know why they're used within the medical system for better and for worse but as a whole sort of pinning everything on one set date that's just not for me I much prefer the idea of a due period or a due season or a due month or something like that and I'm going to tell you why later on in the podcast but let's talk about the origins of due dates first and talk a bit about what I like to encourage when thinking about your due period and just how to take the pressure off a little bit so Let's get it out there right here at the beginning of the podcast. Only 4% of babies are born on their due date. 4%. That means you have a 96% chance of giving birth to your baby on any other day of your pregnancy. I like to say to my clients that your due date is notoriously the day that your baby will not be born. It simply just doesn't really happen. Although, ironically, I myself was born on my due date. Um, I wasn't induced. Um, my mum wasn't induced or anything. She had a spontaneous labour on her due date. So I am the awkward exception to the your baby will not come on their due date narrative. But in terms of, you know, my clients, and I know this is a small sample size. I've said this before, but I've never had a doula client give birth on their due date. I've had people like quite close but never on the actual day and in terms of hypnobirthing clients and power hour clients and things like that from clients that have followed up I've only ever had one due date baby so it's simply not happening for the majority of us researchers found that when left undisturbed to go into labor spontaneously so you know no induction no interventions or anything like that if left alone for labor to just start, then the most common gestation for a first-time parent to give birth is 41 weeks and one day. And for a second or third timer, it's 40 weeks and five days. So even when you've had a baby before, 
you're still more likely to go past this sort of mystical, mythical 40-week due date. And I think this can be so handy to know because so often we focus on this day and it comes and goes and we start to get really fed up. We've had it in our heads that our baby is going to come on, I don't know, the 25th of January and then February rolls around and we're past it. We thought we'd have had our babies by now and the midwives are starting to say, well, let's just book you in for that induction because, you know, it's dangerous to go overdue which it's not really, is it? We've discussed it's actually really normal in an otherwise healthy pregnancy to go past this date, but you're really bloody fed up and so you're more likely to just accept an induction and, you know, evict your baby before they're ready, which can lead to a whole heap of interventions and repercussions, which were really needed. And I've said it before, I'm not anti-induction, I'm just pro-women's informed choice. If you want an induction and feel it's right for you, I am not going to try and dissuade you. But if your baby is happy and healthy where they are and you're happy and healthy where you are, then induction for post-date, so for going overdue, does not improve outcomes and could cause harm to you and or your baby unnecessarily. If you don't want an induction, but you get to your due date and you're really stressed and then you end up fear-mongered into one, that is when it's problematic. And that is oftentimes where people end up with horrific birth trauma because they were led to believe an induction was needed to keep their baby safe. But in reality, their baby wasn't ready to be born yet. Their body wasn't ready to go into labour yet. And so the induction takes many, many days and leads to things happening which feel out of control and way out of the plan. So I'm not trying to scaremonger at all, but if you are choosing to be induced, please do make sure you are super informed on your rights and that you do feel that it is the very best option for you and your baby. Ensure you understand the process and you feel confident in only accepting the parts of the induction process that feel right for you. So for example, maybe you'd be happy to accept a stretch and a sweep, that feels okay, but then moving on to having the pessary doesn't. So you would have the stretch and sweep and if nothing happens, you would carry on waiting. Or perhaps you're happy to have your waters broken, but to not go on to the drip. Just just examples, so it's always your choice and you can accept or decline or start or stop at any time. It's also worth remembering that not everyone who gets induced has birth trauma, you know, I'm not saying everybody will, some people do find it empowering and positive, but I do just think we need more information on this before decisions are made, especially for post-dates inductions, where as I've said, it doesn't statistically improve outcomes. This is a huge, huge topic for another day. I don't want to go into it too much right now, but I wanted to mention it because I've seen it happen online in birth story sharing groups, you know, people who are planning home births, have done loads of prep, were really, you know, excited to have a spontaneous vaginal delivery. They get to 41 weeks pregnant. They're so fed up because they'd pinned everything on having a baby that month and, you know, and them not coming, then railroads them into an induction that they didn't really want. And then it ends horrifically, usually in an unplanned cesarean. So little rant aside, I guess the main takeaway there, what I'm trying to say is being patient in a, you know, in a healthy pregnancy is everything. Babies more often than not need more than 40 weeks to fully cook. And interestingly, universally, we cannot even agree which gestation due date should be. So we get all help at 40 weeks but they have a better idea in France where your due date is given as 41 weeks and an even better idea over in Kenya where they're given a due date 
which is 43 weeks. And I love this because imagine if we all focused on 43 weeks instead and accepted that, you know, anything up until that point, absolutely normal, not even worth questioning. We'd all be so much less stressed because, you know, the fact of the matter is that the majority of us are going to have had a baby by 43 weeks. So, yeah. I feel that tells you a lot about our due date system here in the UK. It is universally one of the earliest due dates given and it isn't even universally agreed. So let's chat about the origin of due dates to add, you know, even more discrepancy (laughs) to their value. So due dates are based on Neagle's rule. So the rule states that we should add seven days to the first day of your last period and then count forward nine months. What this is doing is automatically assuming that everybody who menstruates and then gets pregnant has the exact same cycle length. And then on top of that, that all these people with identical menstrual cycles ovulate at exactly the same time. I think it is pretty obvious that this was worked out by a man, right? This was clearly a man who was like, yep, all women have identical menstrual cycles and ovulate at the exact same time. If you talk to any group of women, you will find a wide variation of normal within their cycles. Um, I actually have an amazing episode of this podcast all about menstrual cycle awareness. Um, It was in the first season and it was quite early on. I'm not sure exactly what episode, but it's called Menstrual Cycle Awareness. And it's with the wonderful Nikki, who is a birth keeper and a menstrual cycle slash women's hormone expert. So please go and listen to that for more on this topic. And you'll realize why assuming we're all in sync is detrimental to women's health for many, many reasons. And the fallacy of due dates is just a tiny part of that. So back to the point, Nigel, who is a German professor, based his working out on the work of another guy who's called Bohaver. I think that's how you say it, no idea. Bohaver was a Dutch professor who in 1744, so this is a really long time ago, stated that due dates should be calculated by adding seven days onto the last period and then adding on an additional nine months. But he never actually explained whether to add these seven days onto the beginning of the period or the end, which, you know, could make a huge difference, couldn't it? Because if we added these seven days onto the end of the period and then added on the nine days, that would buy us an extra week before our estimated due dates. And it would make them come up somewhere closer to 41 weeks pregnant, which we know is much more likely to be closer to when our bodies are actually ready to give birth and our babies are actually ready to be born. But nope. We add these seven days onto the beginning of the last period and we end up with 40 weeks of pregnancy over here. So great. Love that for us. <laughs> so Nigel, he took Berhaver's already, you know, pretty flawed logic, flawed because it assumes everyone's menstrual cycles are exactly the same. Added on some of his own thoughts and passed the whole thing off as his own. And that's why we still to this day use Nigel's rule. By the way, though, Nigel also didn't actually specify where to add these seven days. So we can't fully blame him for that bit. It's been interpreted in different ways over the years. So actually, as the 1800s went on, most doctors did add the seven days onto the last day of the last period. So like I said, that ends up with an estimated due date around 41 weeks. But by the 1900s, textbooks in America started to add the seven days onto the first day of the last period. We do not know why. And lots and lots of doctors just followed suit and that ended up becoming the accepted form of Nigel's rule which is what we still use today in the UK so 
frustrated. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's a lot to unpick there, isn't there? There's a really great comprehensive article from the National Library of Medicine, which, if you don't know, is the world's largest biomedical library. It says it produces trusted health information used by health professionals, students, researchers, innovators, medical librarians, and the public to advance medicine and improve public health. So it's a good resource for a lot of things, and I will link in the show notes this journal, which discusses estimated due dates, and states something which I think is very telling. It states... It is prudent for the obstetrician to get a detailed menstrual history, including duration, flow, previous menstrual periods and hormonal contraceptives. Hormonal contraceptives is what I was trying to say there. These factors are used to determine the length of hair cycle and ovulation period. And this simply doesn't happen, does it? Especially in the UK, at least. So you go to your booking appointment and they use those rigid little due calculators, which only take into account the first day of your last period. So that's your initial estimated due date. And then you go for a scan around 12 weeks, which almost always changes it a little bit. And they just, they don't take into account your history. I've had so many clients who say they know exactly when conception happened and exactly when they're ovulated because they track these things and they're in tune with their bodies. But then the medical system comes in with their technologies and tells them those dates are wrong. How could they possibly be wrong? It's one of the very first times during pregnancy when we outsource our innate knowing and let technology override something which we know to be true. It's incredibly, incredibly frustrating. And then to make the whole thing seem just even more farcical, I had a doula client at the beginning of last yeah, beginning of last year who was pregnant by IVF. So she knew exactly when her estimated due date should be because, you know, she was there at the time of embryo transfer. There was absolutely no questioning this. Yeah, her 12-week scan gave her a different due date and that is what they used on her notes going forward. So even though she had proof of the appointment for the transfer and told them it was wrong, because this scan calculated differently, they had to input this date into the system and base everything else throughout her pregnancy on the computer-generated date and would not change it back. It was absolute madness. I don't know if, you know, this is something that is happening everywhere. This happened in Leeds. Um, it might be different different systems. It might depend on the people doing it. I'm not 100% sure. But in this case, for my client, they would not change the due date. They went by the one on the scan instead for her entire pregnancy. And obviously with IVF pregnancies, they're very keen to induce early. So they wanted to induce her early based on a date that wasn't actually even accurate. So yeah, it was a whole thing. <laughs> So my point is to just not get hung up on your rigid and probably inaccurate estimated due date. Something else annoying about the whole thing is that they don't even call it what it is within the system, do they? They don't even call it an estimated due date, which is better because language really matters, doesn't it? I think even subliminally, if we called it an estimated due date from the beginning, it would just, it would be a lot easier for us to accept. But fixating on a due date without the use of the word estimated can be just detrimental to so many people trying to navigate those later stages of pregnancies. And a quick word on scans too, because people can generally accept the flawed logic of the estimated due date that you're given at your booking appointment, but say, well, I've had the scan now, so now I know. The scans aren't fully accurate either. <laughs> Early ultrasound due dates have a margin of error of roughly 1.2 weeks, but there are stories out there of people having these dates um, moved by two, three, even four weeks. 
So if you think about it, it makes sense. Again, like I said, we're sort of outsourcing this innate knowing, this tracking of our symptoms, of our bodily systems to something computer generated. And when you go in for this scan, just half a millimetre at such an early stage can change your date by a whole week, which is really hard to gauge. And I know sonographers are incredibly skilled at performing these scans, but we do have to account for margins of human error, as well as the fact that babies will be growing at marginally different rates too. So, you know, they're not going to be growing at massively different rates at this stage, but there's going to be marginally differences in how the babies are growing at these early stages. So, more accurate than using Neagle's rule, but still not fully accurate, especially without a detailed overview of your menstrual history, of your symptoms of pregnancy, and things like that. So, all of this knowledge banked, what do I think is the solution? So, first and foremost, we do need a new system to work out due dates that takes into account your whole history. That's clearly not going to happen anytime soon, is it? But as I touched on at the beginning, I think we need a more lackadaisical view of due dates, especially in our personal life. So as I've said, I can see why they are useful within the system, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to go into that. But I think personally, it would be great for our mental well-being if we just had a more lackadaisical view of due dates. So we need to be educated and aware on the fact that A, babies don't often arrive on their due date. B, that they're based on some pretty sketchy systems which can contradict each other and C, that even if we do have a totally accurate due date, our babies don't give a frick. They don't. They don't get the notice, do they? They, don't, they just develop at their own rate and then pop out when they're ready. So with all this in mind, for our personal well-being, I propose that we do one of two things. We either give ourselves a due period, which is a little later than the estimated due date, or we just move our estimated due date when we're, you know, talking about it to friends and fams or posting about it online and things like that. So as I've said, you can't do this within the system. But personally, if you tell yourself and your friend's family that you're due, for example, sometime in the late spring or, you know, sometime around Halloween, say you're due at the beginning of October, you say, I'm due sometime around Halloween. And then you're taking the pressure off from the beginning and when that time rolls around, you're giving yourself the grace to just let go and to wait for everything to be ready. You're not putting any pressure on yourself. You're thinking, I'll meet my baby sometimes around Halloween. And if they come before that, they come before that. Or if you do want a date to give people, you know, if people are hassling you, if you want to give people a date, tell people the date when you're going to actually be 44 weeks. And, you know, focus on that. Let your friends and fam focus on knowing that by this date, you know, it's highly likely you'll have your baby, but it just negates you getting any stress about this date. It negates your family and friends pestering you, sending those any signs of labour yet texts, and it banks you a couple of weeks of peace at the end of your pregnancy to simply wait. And again, I know these things are harder to do if you need to, you know, take mat leave or anything. So you do need to give the actual um, due date to your employer, but just tell them to keep it secret, which they should be doing anyway, you know, data protection 101. They shouldn't be going around telling people your due date, but just mention it when you, you know, go in for that appointment and say, this is the day I've been given from the hospital. I'm trying to not focus too much on it. I would very much appreciate it if we didn't mention this again and you didn't go telling people about it or whatever it is. And you know, this works for all. You you may you may know that you're planning to have a cesarean at 37 weeks, 
but it's still you can still gain peace from lying about your due date so if you know that you're booked in for a cesarean on the 1st of january you know say to people oh i'm due sometime at the end of jan right you don't you don't need to give people all of this personal information do what feels right for you and again negate the pressure the messages the noisiness from those around you I think it can be helpful as well, like I've said, for our own mental well-being if we focus on a due period. So you say, you know, I'm due around Halloween when your estimated due date is at the beginning of October. You keep telling yourself that throughout your pregnancy, then that's what you're going to believe, right? So when it gets to the beginning of October, you're not stressed, you're not flustered because you're just like, it's fine, you know, I'm going to have my baby sometime around Halloween. And it takes that pressure off. So... Let's round up the episode with a couple of little pointers. First of all, to say, I know I haven't discussed the pros and cons of going overdue. As I said at the beginning of the episode, that's not what this is about. This is just about due dates. I will cover that in a follow-up episode. Because obviously, you know, what's safe for one person is not going to be safe for everybody. Some people, you know, go past your due date as long as it feels right. For others, you know, there's going to be anomalies, there's going to be grey areas and you know, it's not going to be the best option for everybody. So this podcast is aimed at those who are having otherwise healthy pregnancies with no indications that babe may need to make an earlier than due appearance, which is the very large majority of us. But if you do need, if you do know that your baby is going to need to come earlier, like I said, you can still gain some of that, you know, that mental peace from lying about your due date. And I do still think it's interesting to know about anyway. Secondly, I will leave a link in the show notes of a brilliant birth story from, I think it's from last year, of someone who went to 44 weeks of pregnancy, just to show you that you can, if you want to. You can just simply wait for labour in the, you know, the vast majority of cases, as long as you deem it safe for your personal circumstances. So I will leave that in the show notes. She's not a client or anything. It's just a story that I love to share because it's such a taboo thing and it's portrayed as being so dangerous, but For many people, it can just be their norm. And I think it's important to read a wide range of birth stories when you're pregnant. So here's another one to add to the list. Even if going to 44 weeks of pregnancy is your idea of hell. (laughs) I'm not saying everyone should do it. I'm not saying everybody has to do it. It's just an interesting story. Um, You know, it's important to point out here that I'm not trying to encourage or persuade anyone to do anything which does not feel right for them or their circumstances. You don't have to ignore your due date. You don't have to go to 44 weeks of pregnancy do what feels right for you and your baby. I'm just offering new ways of thinking about systems which often remain unchallenged. So that's your lot this episode. I hope you found it interesting and useful. If you'd like to discuss this or any other aspect of your pregnancy and birth in more detail, then book in for a power hour with me, a one-off session to get clarity on your circumstances for just £50. It's online over Zoom so you can have this from anywhere in the world pop the input in the show notes. Remember, whilst you're there, to check out all of the references and then go and sign up for my hypnobirthing course while you're there using the code podcast for a 20% discount. I promise you it's very, very good. If you have any more questions, come hang out on Instagram where I'm at the Dungaree Doula and please let me know if you enjoyed the episode. Thank you for listening. If you did enjoy the episode, please do stick around, like, follow and subscribe or leave a little review if you don't mind because it's so very helpful for me. Speak soon. See you next week. Bye.